This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. I gotta be honest. Uh, I'll I'll kind of unpack a little bit more of the background to this, but um, it, it was funny because it was kind of ironic. All week we're there, and we had a, we had a couple central folk come down come down to that and get to get to see one of the services. And um, I'm I'm completely opposite of uh, kind of the the typical pastor that you would see at one of those events. So they're all walking in. They have three piece suits. They all have a, a certain type of haircut. They all have a certain type of uh, uh, twang in their voice. Most of them are Southern for some reason. Even if they're from Michigan, when they preach, they're Southern. And so, um, and so, uh, I kind of feel. I told Carmen this last night. I kind of feel like I stick out way too much at those things. So I just got a haircut, but throughout the week I looked like a guinea pig because my hair was just all over the place. Uh, I don't. I didn't bring any suit stuff. I brought one pair of jeans, and I brought one pair of joggers, and then I was, uh, uh, I was wearing Vans, I was wearing uh, just like street shoes, and I'd go to service like that, and then I had like a lion's hat, which is already an insult, and so I'd show up, uh, I'd show up in service, and I'd be dressed like this, and all these other guys would be walking around, and they'd be like, God bless you, man of God, how you doing, brother? And they did that to everybody around me, but they'd skip me, because I think they thought I was just like... Like a homeless guy that was like, what's going on in here? Is there free food? And so one of the nights they were like, one of the nights they were like, I want every pastor in the place. Or, or uh, my state board. There's a state board. I want the state board to come up here. And, and uh, uh, I'm going to send you guys up from here. And I want you to pray for every pastor in the building right now. And so I'm standing like right over here off the side of the altar. And, you know, I'm just worshiping, doing my thing. And uh, they walked out. They, they came off the stage. There's probably like 15 of them. They walked off the stage. And uh, everybody else, like I said, is dressed that way. And then he came walking off the stage. I was standing right here. He looked me dead in the face. And it was like, that can't be a pastor. And he kept, <laughs> kept walking right by me. And I, I leaned over to Carmen. And I was like, I got to get some new clothes. So, <laughs> so it was easy, though, for me to sit there and to look at him and go, man, why do y'all do stuff like this? Man, if people from outside of, of this box came in to this box, you'd have to change a lot of things about this to make it make sense. To Like, why do you go? And I started ridiculing that in my mind. And then I, I started unplugging from things that were going on in my mind because I was just sitting there kind of kind of dismantling the reason and the and the the whole thought process behind why they do things and that's called criticism right and today what we're talking about is we're ending off the series talking about criticism criticism now this is a tricky one because a lot of us like to play the card where it's like oh it's constructive criticism we if we're pointing out something like that it's only because i mean we got to speak the truth in love and I'm trying to help them out. If they if they don't if if I don't tell them how will they know they got fixed it right? We can we can do all kinds of things to maneuver through not not having to take any responsibility for criticizing people. But the truth is is that this is a huge problem. But it's called my big fat mouth, right? So I'm not going to talk about you. I'm going to tell you what's what's what why this matters to me, and then I'm going to trust God to uh, to to apply it to you where, where need be. So me, some of you guys have heard this before. If you've never seen me up here before, hi, I'm Rich. I'm the youth pastor here. <laughs> That's why 
I look like this, and I don't talk all the time. Okay, so uh, they only let me out of my cage every once in a while. So, um, so uh, my background, if you know, you've heard me say it before, my family is crazy. There's only one other person in this room that I think had a family as crazy as mine, and I think that's Leah. And because of that, me and Leah have, have a, a funny relationship where all we do is, is hurt each other's feelings, but it's great. We're, we're good friends. And I grew up in a house where that was kind of the communication that happened. Ever since I could remember, as young as I could remember back, any family meeting we had, or not family meeting, but any family gathering we had, a barbecue, time at the pool, watching a movie, uh, anything like that, at a moment's notice, it could erupt into just a huge roast fest. If you guys don't know what a roast fest is, that's slang terminology for everybody's getting made fun of no matter what. And so I have an older brother, I have a younger sister, uh, two years older, two years younger, and then both of my parents are, are pretty young, and so we would just go at it. My brother would say something about me, I'd say something about him, my sister would throw in a side comment, we'd all gang up on her and make her cry, then we'd all laugh at her for crying, and then it just, you know, it just went around and around. And this was kind of the normal thing from my household. And so very quickly and very early on, I learned how to use the art of rebuttals and the art of joke telling and roasting, if you will, in order to get back at people or to deflect something that was brought against me. If my dad or my brother or anybody kind of picked on me, I was able to flip it on them and put the focus back on them. It was a defense mechanism in my household from very early on. So that evolved and I learned how to get really good at it. And I started using that to my advantage uh, when I got into school. But not, not, uh, not before I had to use it to defend myself against bullies. From uh, fifth to sixth grade, I developed major OCD. About that time, my lisp, <laughs> don't act like you don't hear it, it's okay. Uh, my lisp started becoming more obvious, right? And I'm just gonna be honest, I've always liked food, so my pants have always not fit right, okay? And I used to, I, I remember going uh, on vacation with my grandma. She had a JCPenney credit card. So she was, she was the one that did all of our school shopping. My dad let her blow her credit up and buy us new clothes. And so we'd go, and I remember my grandma had to, has to go every time and ask the JCPenney clerk where the husky section is. Not for grown men, for boys. The husky section. You know how damaging that is? <laughs> Not enough to stop me from, you know, eating four for fours, but it, it did something. And so always, as far back as I can remember, I had been made fun of. I had been made fun of for my weight. I had been made fun of for the way I talk, right? All these things. And so these two things played hand in hand for me, knowing how to defend myself verbally and cut people down before they could cut me down verbally, and then also being bullied. Those two things kind of sandstormed and created something in me where I became this class clown, but I was kind of like a high school terrorist no, okay, so I, I, in the classroom, in the classroom with nothing but my words. I didn't even carry a backpack. And um, I remember walking, I, I remember going into class, and Carmen knows this. Me and Carmen actually met because she hated me, because I was so obnoxious. I made it my point, no matter where I went, what I did, I had to be the one to get the first stab. I had to be the one to plant my flag first and make sure people knew I was the funny guy. I was the witty guy. I was the one that you didn't want to say anything to because if you did and you slipped up and insulted me, you knew that you were going to get flamed, like I was just going to roast you and you were going to be embarrassed. And so I made it my point because I was insecure. I was afraid of people coming at me like that. 
So it evolved again, and after I graduated, it just kind of became so deep-rooted in me that now I'm in the adult world, and uh, you know, me and Carmen are together, we're going through, uh, or we're, we're hanging out with friends, we're doing all this stuff, and I would just pick on people. And subconsciously, like, I was just pointing out things about people that they didn't really want pointed out like that and broadcasted to the whole world. I, I can't even give you an example because it was so second nature to me just because my whole life I had gotten good at just finding something about you that I could use against you so that way you never picked on me first. It's called insecurity, right? And so I remember, I, I'll never forget, Carmen, Carmen and me were riding home from Chili's one night. And that's a different story. I'll tell that story another time. It's a funny story. But something just happened at Chili's where God totally humbled me. And we were leaving. Let's just say I didn't make it to a bathroom in time, okay? We'll just we'll leave it at that. Uh, because I was trying to bully somebody. And so, so we were leaving. We're in the car. We're driving away. And she's, it's dead quiet. Guys, you know what that is. When you're in the car and there's no music on, it's dead quiet. And she won't look at you. She's just really looking at the road even though she's not driving. You know you're in trouble. I'm sitting next to her, and she's staring out the windshield like, and I'm really feeling myself. I'm like, what? What's up? What you, what you, what? What's out there? And I'm starting to kind of mess with her. I'm, oh, come on, come on. What, what's up? Come on. What? And she turns and looks at me, and she goes, you know what? I said, what? She goes, she goes, don't be surprised when nobody wants to hang out with you anymore. I said, what? Girl, you played yourself because you're dating me, so what's up? So <laughs> She said, don't be surprised when nobody wants to hang out with you anymore. And I did something I shouldn't have done. I stepped right on the landmine. That's a booby trap. You could just ignore that and roll on, guys. And you could be like, yeah, you're right. Or you could go, what do you mean? And open up the floodgates. And I said, what do you mean? And she went, what you did back there, how you talked to them back there, the things that you said, that, you know how many times people come up to me and tell me that you've hurt their feelings? You know, I've had to talk to people that literally left the room because they were holding back tears because you are a jerk. Like flat out, you are a jerk. And I was like, oh, there's a, and, and again, I was trying to, def I would try to defend myself. Oh, pfft, they're just babies. They're, they're sensitive. I got it. And I did what we all do. I just got to tell it like it is. If they, the truth hurts. Truth hurts. So if they're hurt by maybe I just told the truth too much. I don't know. I was a jerk. I was a jerk. And if you use that, I'm not going to call you a jerk. But don't, don't use that excuse because we're going to find out what God thinks about that and really how we should use our words. But that, that's, that's what it was for me. And I'll be honest. It's something that if you know me, you know that I still wrestle with it to this day. Uh, in the past year, I actually, one of my good friends, uh, I, I burned a bridge with them. I lost a, a friendship with somebody that I really care about because I was too aggressive uh, with, with my, I'll call them critiques. I was too critical with them. My criticism was too strong and not constructive enough, and there's a balance there. And, and, I ruined, and so it's as recent as in this past year. I have to mess with it. I have to check on it. I have to tend to it regularly because I'm somebody that has a tendency to be overly critical, overly critical when it doesn't call for it. 
So maybe that's, maybe that's you. Maybe you didn't get bullied and so you don't have a whole bunch of insecurities. Maybe, maybe you don't feel like that. But maybe there's, there's something there that does propel you to be critical, right? To, to, to criticize other people uh, when it's not constructive, when it's not uh, for benefit, when it's not really even trying to help. So maybe it's insecurity. That's one, right? But another one is uh, pride. Pride. I'll give you an example. If you, now I'm not going to point out anybody, and I don't want you to raise your hand either, but just be honest with yourself, okay? If God is like, yeah, that's you, then just own it, okay? Don't come up to me after service and be like, oh, well, no, you, said, you must have been talking about, I'm not talking about anybody in particular, okay? If God says it's you, own it. But you know it's pride because here's, here's something that kind of looks like. If you regularly get offended because people don't ask your opinion enough, if people don't uh, uh, ask you for your thoughts on a subject and so you got to ridicule them because they did something wrong without asking you. If, if somebody needs a, a, a sports professional and they don't ask your opinion, you get all up in arms. Somebody needs somebody who knows how to fix a roof or fix a floor, but they don't ask you and, and, and you get offended because they should have asked your opinion and they're dumb because they did it wrong. If you are always right, you see a trend. You're always right. You're never wrong. Nobody can. There's a Kanye West song called Can't Tell Me Nothing. And it goes, uh, it's very simple. It goes, nah, you can't tell me nothing. Here's what he's saying. You all know Kanye West. You know the attitude behind that. Here's what he's saying. I am never wrong. Don't tell me that I'm wrong because you're wrong. I'm never wrong. If you think I'm wrong, you're wrong. I'm, I'm always right, period. If you are never wrong, if you are uh, regularly in relationships with people where you're always constr- uh, 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 criticizing what they're doing, you're always pointing out what they're doing, you're always highlighting something wrong that they did, a misstep that they made, uh, a bad call, a bad judgment call, when they should have done this instead of that. You're watching at home the news, right, from your couch, and you're ridiculing whoever's on the screen because they're dumb. They don't see it like this. They're stupid. How could they do it like that? If you're on Facebook and you're scrolling past people, people that are your friends on there, and you always have something to say about it because their opinion is less less uh, 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 sophisticated than yours, this could be you. Pride is a big factor in criticism. Right? I'm never wrong. I'm always right. Why don't you ask me about that? I could, I could totally help you. It comes out in little side jabby comments sometimes too, right? I mean, I saw on Facebook that y'all, you and -and so-and-so went out to dinner. I mean, thanks for the call. (laughs) It's criticism, right? Maybe it's misunderstanding. This is a big one too, especially in the church world. We love to sit where we're at and look at something way over here and assume that we know what's going on so we're able to critique it from far away. Oh, man, why why is that pastor... Doing that. Why did, why did that pastor ask that person to sing? Or, or why did that person ask that person to play? Or that pastor asked that person to play? Or why did they do a, a backpack drive instead of that? Why did they do that instead of this? Why would they hire him instead of her? Why would they make this decision to use that classroom for this instead? That's not that's just an example. I'm not, that never happened. That never happened. I got to remember, we got daycare here, so that never happened. This is past, past the best. Why, we always have something to say, right? But maybe if you got up close to it and gave yourself a little bit of context, you would understand why certain decisions are made. But that's too, that's, that's too level-headed. We want to sit back here and just be mad about something. There's a number of different reasons why we criticize. Insecurity, pride, 
misunderstanding, whatever it is. But I'm convinced after researching this, again, this is something that God has worked in my heart too, that if we really understood what one, one critical comment could do to somebody versus one positive comment could do to somebody, we would, we would totally reevaluate how we talk to people. The power of criticism is huge. The power of your words, the Bible says it over and over, the power of your words, you have the power of life and death in your tongue, right? There's whole chapters of, of the Bible dedicated to this, James 3, right? Like, it talks about how your tongue is a flame. It talks about how your tongue is the propeller on a massive ship. And if you can just tame your tongue, you can control the entire thing, right? And then it talks about why, why do we put bits in horses' mouth? Because we don't, we don't try to control their body because if you can control a horse's mouth, you can control everything it does. Your mouth has serious power. It has the power to potentially destroy the human spirit. Here's what Paul says about it. Galatians 5.14, it says this. You guys will probably know uh, 14, but we don't always tack on 15 to it. Uh, 14 says this. Love your neighbor as yourself. We know that. Everyone for everybody. Right? It's a sweet shirt. Everyone's for everybody. But if you continue to bite and devour each other, watch out. Because you'll be destroyed by each other. How do you, what do you bite with? Your mouth. What do you devour with? <laughs> Your mouth. Right? If you continue to bite and devour each other, you will be destroyed by each other. Right? In Proverbs uh, 12, 18, it says this. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Other translations replace reckless with different things, right? But I, I like this translation because it's a reckless thing. Most times when we do that to people, we don't think before we speak. We don't think before we say something. We were in the grocery store yesterday. We were shopping for the, um, uh, for the uh, pasta lunch, right, which y'all better go to. And um, we're, in the, we're in the aisle, and this is something we're working with my five-year-old on right now. She's doing this thing. It's kind of creeping me out, <laughs> but she does this thing where instead of saying, here's what I think, she starts going, she says, my brain said this. I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, and so we're in the grocery store last night. I'm pushing the cart, and she's sitting in the cart, and she goes, and I'm like, where's the, where's the stinking lettuce at? Where's the? And I'm like, oh, oh, it's right in front of my face. And my daughter says, uh, she goes, oh, oh, oh. and I said, what? And she goes, my brain was wanting me to, my brain thought something mean to say right there. And I was like, and you know, I'm confrontational. God help me. So I was like, oh yeah, what was it? And she goes, I'm telling you, it's universal. With any girl, you don't ask for more info. I should have just left it alone. <laughs> She's five. She already got this. And I said, oh yeah, what? And she goes, my brain, because, you know, you misplaced the lettuce. She really does, if you met her, she really does it. You know, because you misplaced the lettuce. <laughs> And I was like, uh-huh. And she's like, my brain was going to be like, you're the stupidest daddy. <laughs> and I was like, here's the thing, y'all laughing. If you know how much my daughter means to me, you would know that it broke my heart. I was standing there and I said, come here. Come. She wasn't even out of the She couldn't go anywhere. She couldn't move. And I said, come here. And I walked to her. So she still got the power in it, right? Come here. And I said, let me tell you something. 
I don't care how much your brain says to say something mean. You can't blame your brain, okay? It's you. I said, if it comes out of your mouth, I don't care if you said, hey, you're the stupidest daddy in the world, or if you said, my brain just thought to call you the stupid. You can't blame, your brain is part of, you can't blame it, right? That's rough. So the point of that is this. I'm working with my five-year-old to think before she says something and not blame something else. We as adults struggle with the same problem. How many times are we reckless with our speech and we don't think before it comes out and then we try to blame something else that happens? Right? We still haven't mastered this. From 5 to 55, it doesn't matter. We still do stuff like this. Oh, you're an idiot. Oh, you're the stupidest person in the world. Well, how could you? Right? And we just tear people down. Right? It says the words of the reckless pierce like swords. But here's the other side of it. The contrast is this. But the words of the wise. People who think before they speak, people who are wise, who are smart about how they position themselves in conversation, their words bring healing. Our title verse for the entire uh, series is Ephesians 4.29. I'm going to read it again because it's that good. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it will benefit all who listen. I'll give you another example with my five-year-old. We'll be in the car. We're in the car, right? Even this morning. It just happened we were pulling in. And I'm pulling in. I'm talking to Megan. We went and picked Megan up. She's our uh, interning in our kids' church. She's fantastic. And uh, we're driving here, and Megan's telling us how she's switching her phone plan from Sprint to T-Mobile. And I'm, like, grilling her because that's what I do, right? And I'm like, why, so why are you doing that? Like, what, did you really need to? Are you really saving money? Why is that? Pri-? And I'm just giving her the third degree, right? I'm giving her, uh, never mind, I was going to say 50 cents, 21 questions. But if you're not hood, you don't get it. And so uh, we're in the car, and I'm like, listen, I'm not trying to defend Sprint. Because, Megan, you know that I am a hater of Sprint. I'm a Sprint hater. And Olivia in the back seat right behind me goes, I thought we're not supposed to hate things. I said, yeah, you're right. But Sprint's not really a thing. Sprint is an evil corporation. And so it's, it's different. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, uh, Daddy, but you, hate's a bad word, right? Like, you told, and this is where it gets true, you told me we're not supposed to say that, but I just heard you say that you hate, so you hate Sprint, and then she's grilling me back. She's like, uh, is there, like, why do you hate them, and should you really be saying hate? And, and so I just had to do the parent move and be like, listen, we're not talking anymore. And she's like, but no, wait, but for, and she's really trying to grasp this. How are you, and I was like, no, 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 we're done. Here's the thing. It says right here. Building others up according to their needs that it may be beneficial to all who hear it. Right? That, you know what that applies to? Sometimes we feel the, 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 uh, the right to go ahead and critique things behind the scenes when we're away from the person we're actually critiquing. This plays back into, into gossip, right? And, and when this happens, we feel like we can do that because we're over here and they're over here. But anybody who's around, if they're not benefiting from what's coming out of your mouth, it's still unhelpful criticism. And it's still tearing people down. Whether, whether they hear it or not doesn't matter because you're changing the way somebody else may think about somebody or something instead of letting them base their own opinion off of it, right? So the question is this. What kind of person are we going to be? Craig Rochelle says it like this. 
Craig Rochelle says there's two different types of people. Fault finders. Say it one more time. Fault finders. Okay? Fault finders. The second is hope dealers. Stress the H on that. Hope dealers. We're in Detroit. So the difference is this. Fault finders are people who go around and their first inclination at everything is to say something negative. Oh, man, you know LeBron James the GOAT? Yeah, but, you know, LeBron James really isn't because LeBron James, you know, he's a bum. I remember, you know, he punched that, that, that chalkboard, you know, the first game. If he really was the GOAT, he'd be smart and he wouldn't punch the black. It's that, you know, like people always got something to say about, you know, you, you take them out to dinner and you're like, man, this is my favorite restaurant. Yeah, this place all right, but, you know, have you been to this place over here because you're eating these breadsticks? Those look pretty gross. The breadsticks over here are much better. You should try them, right? Oh, man. Uh, uh, man, I really love, I, re- I love this one. I really love Wendy's French fries. Who got the best French fries in fast food? I don't know if I call it fast food. Lord help us. We're a church divided. You know them. They always got something to say. In my friend group, there was always somebody that was like that, and we would always hit them with the same thing. We'd all be joking, ha, 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 yeah, yeah, we should go over here and do that. Man, why we always got to do that? And everybody would snap their neck at him and go, bro, why you always got something to say? You're so annoying. It don't matter what we do, anything we want, you always got something to say. Because nobody wants to hang out with that person that's always got something to say. Nobody wants to be around the person who always got a critique of everything, even things that you shouldn't have a critique of. I sat next to people, legit, sat next to people at my daughter's ballet recital. She's five. They can barely stand on stage without rolling around on the ground and just laughing at each other because they're on a stage. Like, whoa. (laughs) And I have people that I can hear with an earshot of me, and while the the little five-year-olds are... I li- I'm, I'm not joking. I, I didn't even tell Carmen about this. I was about to turn around and be like, shut up. I have people behind me going, oh, man. See the, you see the fourth girl from the right? One Olivia because it would have been a brawl. But, <laughs> and you see the fourth girl from the right? I wonder what her parents do with her because she, she's not paying attention to anything. There's, you're at a five-year-old ballet recital, bro. And you're critiquing the way her parents parent her because she's excited and giddy on the stage. There's always people that got something to say, but here's the problem. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's us, right? Maybe that's us. Be honest with yourself. Maybe it's not that. Maybe you got more of a heart than that, right? But maybe it's you. You're at something and you could just keep your words to yourself. You don't even got to point anything out. But a fault finder is programmed to spot something that they don't like, something that maybe makes them insecure, something that they don't understand, something that's probably not that serious, and they elevate it and they highlight it and they broadcast it to everybody. So instead of having all this negative attention and energy on them, or, or get this, uh, instead of having all the positive attention on what's really going on, we're going to take everybody's attention and distract them with this negativity and we're going to highlight it for everybody to see. So whoever this is about, we're tearing them down. And here's the tricky thing about fault finders. They tend to get a lift out of this. It makes us feel smarter. It makes us feel better. It makes us feel more experienced. 
It makes us feel like we got something up on whoever it is that we're criticizing and ridiculing because, man, they couldn't know as much as us. And when I say this, if I could just get one or two people to agree with me, I'm going to prove how much of a genius I really am. Man, I'm such a good parent. So when I point out how bad of a parent they are, then everybody's going to look at my kid and see that really she's such a little angel, right? And everybody's going to be like, dang, all parents in the world need a parent like Rich because he's for real with it, right? I'm going to make myself look like the best parent by tearing down every other parent in this place. We don't call it that, but that's exactly what it is. We think that what we're saying is the loudest thing that people are hearing from that. The loudest thing that people are hearing from that is your insecurity and your ego and arrogance and pride. The Bible says that's destructive. The second person, oh, I like this. I quoted this. It's pretty strong. So I wanted to say this, but I didn't want to take the blame for saying this. Craig Rochelle said this. He said, when you choose to be a fault finder, you are like the Pharisees because this is exactly what Pharisees did. Something good was going on, and if it didn't line up with what they thought, they poked holes in it, and they ridiculed it. Jesus was working miracles. Jesus himself was working miracles, and they'd walk up and be like, bro, you're doing this junk on the Sabbath. Who cares? You just healed somebody, but you did it when you should have been chilling, bro. Come on. But then he says this. Not only are you like the Pharisees, actually, you're just like the devil. Because the devil's nickname is the accuser of the brethren. Guys, this is what the devil does. Like, real talk, this is what the devil does. We have so many people right now caught up in depression, caught up in insecurity, caught up in, in doubt, caught up in all these different things in their life, right? We talked about this when we talked about the light of the world. And, and that's what the devil does. Some of you guys wrestle with this, with anxiety, with fear, with all these different things. You guys know the devil's voice very well because it comes to you and it says, hey, 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 you really thought you were making headway in this? Nah, man, you forgot about this. You're going to fail. Oh, you have a test coming up because you're in school right now? You're going to fail. You're ill-prepared. Oh, you're going to go have a, a job interview for that? Why would you leave the job you're at? You're not qualified for that job that you're in. Accuse, 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 accuse. That's what the devil does. Accuse and criticize and ridicule and call out weaknesses in other people to make us feel like we can't reach our God-given potential. So when you or I do that to other people, we're not acting like God. I don't care how much scripture you use to tear somebody down, you're still tearing somebody down. And even though you're using scripture, you're not acting like Jesus, you're acting like the devil. This was a hard pill for me to swallow. When Carmen looked me in the face, my baby girl, sugar mama, sweet thing, Look me in the face and say, you are a jerk. My pride kicked in. I was like, that's, I'm not, that's not an exaggeration. That's really what I did. So, sometimes, I, sometimes I make fart noises in conversation with Carmen. She'll say something, I'll go. She said, you are a jerk. I said, she said, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You don't want to hear it. Nobody can, why do you think they came to me instead of coming to you? Because they can tell you anything they want, and you're going to do the same thing to them. And then you're really going to have no friends. Right now you got friends because I got friends, baby. But if I was out of here, you'd have no friends. 
And I had to go home, and I had to think about it, and I had to pray about it. And that friend that I lost last year, I've done more praying about that. I've thought more about that than it's haunted me. It has haunted me that I have literally burned down a relationship with somebody because I didn't know when to shut up and keep it moving. I didn't even, I didn't even say anything that was unmerited. He asked me my opinion on something. I gave it to him. I didn't say it the the, the best of ways. He got hurt by it. And instead of apologizing for that, I kept it going. And I kept it going. And I said, well, maybe you're hurt hurt because of this. Maybe you're hurt by it because of that. I don't know. The truth hurts. And I used all these things over and over again. And to this day, I messaged him the other day. I I was driving, and this Pentecostal me, but I felt like God put him on my heart. So I called him. And I was like, hey, man, I was listening to this new CD, and for some reason I wanted to call you and ask your opinion on it, man. Well, you know, da, 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 I, and I left him a voicemail, hung up. Two minutes later, I got a text back from him. This was last week. Two minutes later, I got a text back from him. He goes, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Not interested in being friends with you anymore. I want you to stop talking to me. Over something that happened a year ago. You don't understand the destruction that you can bring with those words, but when you are a hope dealer, you're not like the devil. You're not like the Pharisees. You're like Paul. You put yourself in different company. Paul was the chief hope dealer. Paul was somebody who was fixated all the time on bringing hope to people. Paul was somebody who who regularly had to fix problems in the church. Regularly. This happened all the time. If you read in his letters, which is like most of the New Testament, Paul writes a lot of times to different churches that are going through problems, right? But but here's the thing. He never gets out of it and goes, man, y'all are so dumb. I swear, if I got to come on another missionary journey to you buffoons, I'm just going to freaking quit. I'm going to tell Jesus I'm out because y'all are hard-headed. Y'all can't get it. Y'all can't stop talking reckless. Y'all can't even get the offering right. Y'all, how do y'all even have church? How do y'all, how are, I don't even know how you guys do this. Why does God even want you guys? Paul doesn't do that. You know what happens when you read Paul's letter in the opening and the close? Paul says this. You, you hear things like this over and over. Paul goes, I am in chains, but I desperately wish I was with you right now. If I get free from these chains, first thing I'm going to do is come visit you. First thing I'm going to do is come find you. And we're going to eat together. And we're going to talk. And we're going to laugh. And we're going to praise God. Because, listen, because I know even with all this other stuff that's going on in your church, which is the reason why I'm writing, I know that God is still doing awesome things there. I'm hearing reports from everybody all over the place. I'm getting letters here while I'm in jail telling me the miraculous things that God is doing in you. Are there some things that we got to fix? Yeah. But God is still using you. God is still cultivating this amongst you. God is still going to pour out on you. This is not stopping you. This is not going to take anything away from you. God is not mad with you. I'm not mad with you. We're just going to get these things straight. But I praise God for the work that you brothers and sisters are doing even in spite of what you're getting wrong. That's how Paul approaches it. Paul didn't choose to speak condemnation over others because Paul knew this. Paul knew that he couldn't bring condemnation at people because Romans 8.1 says this, there's now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many times people point out something about you or me and we want grace? I'm still growing. I'm still learning. God ain't done with me yet. God's doing a work here. He's going to make something special out of me. But then we look at everybody else like God ain't doing the same thing with them. Like they're not in process either. Like they're not still growing either. And we look at them and we want to cut them down when they're still learning and they're still growing too just because theirs looks different than ours. Romans 15, 13 says this. This is what Paul thinks about hope and bringing hope. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope. God is a God of hope, not condemnation, not judgment, not pointing out error. God is a God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy, all peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. You may overflow. You'll well up. You'll just be spewing hope. You tell me what you think. You think the way that you talk about somebody in a negative way, you think that generates hope in them? After you get through with somebody, are they walking away going, man, (laughs) I feel good. Mm. They walking away doing that, or are they walking away going, man, I'm terrible. Man, that, I can't believe I didn't see that. That really was stupid. How did I not see that? I feel so dumb. How do people leave conversations with you when you have a disagreement, when you have something to say to them? Paul was all about bringing hope because here's what Paul knew. People were growing things. Look at me. People are growing things. You and I are growing things. Here's here's what I do know. I don't know much about growing things. Definitely don't know much about growing things. I'm from Colorado, so I got cousins who know something about growing things. But me, I don't. But I do know this. When you want something to grow, guess what you do? You tend to it. You give it room to grow. Sam, me and Sam, uh, uh, I helped Sam plant, uh, plant the garden they were working on last year. I think it was unsuccessful. But me and Sam, we knew one thing ahead of time. We even said it to each other. We looked at each other and we said, man, I don't know if this is going to work. Because we put about 50 seeds in like a four-foot box. And you know what we said to each other? Sam kept looking at me going, oh, what do you think? I don't know. What do you think? And I was like, I don't, you think we're giving it enough room? There's one here and there's one right there. Yeah, I mean, when the roots spread, that's enough, right? Yeah, we're good. And we talked ourselves into thinking that there was enough room for all these seeds to grow and overlap and to have room to be healthy and to flourish, but they all perished because we didn't give them room to grow. Sam replanted his garden this year, and he gave them optimal room to grow. And now the garden is flourishing. 
Here's what Paul knew about people is that they're growing things. And when you want something to grow, what you do is you give it room to grow. You give it space to grow. You give those roots uh, space to go out whichever way they will because hopefully when those roots dig in and take root, it's going to shoot up and it's going to go in the right direction. Here's what you don't do, and this is what Paul knew. When you really want something to grow and you really care about something, you don't cut it off. You don't cut it down. So why do we think that we're being so helpful when we criticize and accuse and ridicule people? And we're like, man, it's just for the best. Somebody's got to tell them that, you know what the word says? It says that your reckless tongue cuts like a sword. You tear people up. You cut people down. You literally cut things off. But I mean, I'm just trying to help. No, if you really want to help, you're going to do what we do when we want something to grow. We're going to tend to it. We're going to care for it very carefully. I'm be honest. I'm glad Miguel's up there today because <coughs> Carmen bought me a <laughs> Carmen bought me a um, uh, uh, like an herb and spice like plant thing from the farmers market. We felt cool because it was like from the Easter market. It's like organic. It's in my kitchen. And I had been watering that thing. I had nothing to cook. But I was like, man, I got fresh basil right here. Smell, smell these leaves, man. I got oregano. I got thyme. I got rosemary up in here, man. It was great. I'm like peeling them off, putting them in, you know, my little Ziploc bag, labeling them. I felt like Jamie Oliver. He's a chef. He's okay. I'm like, man, this is great. I left out of town. We went to Traverse City on vacation. I came back. Miguel, I love you. But my boys were, my, my plants were like <laughs> dead. Dead, dead. They were hanging like this. So I was like, oh, God. I ran in. I grabbed it. I threw a bunch of water in it. I put it outside. I set it on our, our, our back patio table, donated by Bob. Thank you. He's the goat. Where is that? There he is. I threw them on there, and I was like, oh, man, oh, man, maybe in a couple days when they get sunlight, it's going to grow. We left. We came back the next day, and I'm, Carmen's looking down the back alley. She goes, is that your plant thing on the table? I said, yeah. She goes, why does it look like that? I was like, oh, I forgot to tell Miguel to water it. She goes, why would you put it there? I said, because it needs sunlight. She goes, oh, you see there's an umbrella over it? A massive umbrella covering everything. It was shaded at all sides. There was no way, check this out, no way for it to grow because there was nothing that could help it. There was nothing that could reach it. If it rained, it wouldn't touch it. If the sun shined, it wouldn't touch it because it was being cut off and blocked by something. When you and I accuse and we're fault finders, we're that umbrella. We block off anything that could get to it that could potentially help it to grow and be what it's supposed to be which is a yummy seasoning for my spaghetti sauce. But when you're a hope dealer, you give things room to grow. You find the best in things. Man, you know what? Maybe that wasn't the best decision. But it's all right. Because God, God's still going to do something. God can still handle it. Man, get over it. Don't be so hard on yourself. Move on, man. You'll have plenty of other opportunities. Man, I know that was hard. That was a tough loss for you. Man, I'm sorry your mom's gone. Man, I'm sorry your dad's gone. Man, I'm sorry that that, that happened. I'm sorry you failed that. I'm sorry your kids are acting like this. I'm sorry. What, whatever it is, but you know what? There's hope, man. 
because it's not over yet. You're not done yet. God's going to do something being a hope dealer instead. The last thing I'm going to say is this. Is that when we are critical, I don't care how much of this you use, when we're critical, we are so far removed from the character of God. Think about Jesus for one second. Jesus. The Bible says while we were dead in our trespasses, while we were dead in our faults, while we were lost, while we were far off, that's what the Bible says. Christ died for us. God, it says it in, in other parts of Romans. This is all Paul, by the way. This is his hope that he deals. Paul says this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sometimes we don't like the, the use of that word sinners because it sounds like very hellfire. I'm not using it like that. Here's the point. You and I have faults. And while we were in our faults, God didn't make much of our faults. He made much of his love. And he didn't make much of what we did wrong and use that as an excuse to not commune with us. He drew us close. He ransomed us back. And instead of showing condemnation and judgment, he showed grace. He showed forgiveness. He showed love. He brought redemption. He brought hope. When you and I tear people apart, I'm telling you right now as the chief, I struggle with it all the time. Sometimes Sam will ask me a question, and the first thing I'll say is, yeah, somebody told me this and that, but I don't want to do that because that was stupid. I was like, you know what? And I'll catch myself afterwards. I'll walk away, and I'll go, the heck was that? Why did I say that? I'm the worst one. I'm admitting to you. I don't know how I have this figured out. It's something I deal with every day. But when we tear people apart, we are far from who God wants us to be. I don't care how good it makes you feel, how righteous it makes you feel, how much smarter it makes you feel, how much further along it makes you feel. We are far from who God wants us to be. So I end with that for you, the question today. What kind of person are you going to be? Fault finder or hope dealer? Fault finder or hope dealer? I've talked to teens who literally changed their entire life. They were in a pivotal situation. And a parent, a teacher, a friend, somebody spoke a word of ridicule or criticism over them. You will never recover from that. You will never do better than this. Your dad was like that. You're just like him. And they live into that and they let that mold the rest of their life. They have no goals, no standards, no reason to be better because of one word of criticism. You have no idea. On the flip side, I am blessed and I get the privilege every week to deal with teenagers who are only coming back because a leader or me maybe have the privilege myself of speaking one word of hope to them. Man, Pastor Rich, I got arrested, man. I don't know what to listen. That's okay. You're welcome here. We love you, man. If you need anything, you know you can just call me. You know if you need something. You know if you got something to talk, you can just call me, man. We're family. It's so, and because of that, you'll hear them talk to people and they'll go, man, I'm only here, I'm only here today because, you know, youth group or because these youth, 
You have no idea. Just your words can shape somebody's life, upswing or downswing forever. Who are you going to be? A hope dealer or a fault finder? Jesus, I love you, God. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.